Hello everyone and welcome to another PAP chat, Productivity App Chat, where we're talking about productivity tools, methodology, philosophy, and everything in between from app privacy, app security, which we spoke about a couple of streams ago, and today a little bit more behind the scenes about how the apps actually work, the coding behind it, the numbers behind it, because I myself know very, very little, and it's easy to critique features and applications, but as a developer, you can think, I spent a year making this, stop moaning. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I've brought on Mike today, who understands coding way better than me, and I will let Mike introduce himself a little bit now. So Mike, over to you. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me on. This is so fun. Uh, it's just exciting to be able to, to do something like this. So yeah, my name is Mike Dane. I'm a, I guess I'm a YouTuber, software developer. So I have a, a YouTube channel that I run where I teach people how to code. I talk about coming into coding as a beginner. I talk about how apps are built and just all of the general stuff around that. Um, so I, I love teaching code. That's what I've been doing professionally for my career. Uh, I've taught in-person boot camps. I've traveled all around the world teaching. I've worked for a bunch of different remote companies building apps. So yeah, I definitely think I understand hopefully a little bit about how some of these apps are built, how you know a, a productivity app might come together. So hopefully I can shed some light on that and then also just learn more about what, what you guys are doing over here on this channel. Uh, so yeah, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, it's just Mike Dane. You can search that on, on YouTube. It should pop up. Um, and then the link yeah, is in the description. Stuff. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm on it. I've got the link in the description for anyone. Uh, I just did a quick app mention and your name was the first one that came up. For some reason, no, no shade on you, but your name came up first over Mike Boyd. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. If you say so, YouTube. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first question, which I like to ask all my guests is yeah. the tools that you're using to actually get stuff done. I'm going to, I don't want to assume, but I'm assuming you're using some sort of calendar app some sort of task management app of some sort yeah, and then whatever, whatever else. So yeah, perfect, man. So I'll just walk you through like, I guess what I'm using on a daily basis. So I do all my email and all my calendar using an app called spark, which is available on OS X. I'm not sure if it's available on windows or not, but it's really nice on OS X. So you can manage all your email accounts. So if you have Gmail, Microsoft, whatever type of email accounts you have, and it'll integrate with a calendar. So they have a really good calendar feature. So I use that and it just kind of integrates everything together. Uh, and then on my phone, I just use the Gmail app to do email and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I've been using Spark for a few years. I just, I think it's really nice just cause it's, it's not specific to one email platform. And then, like I said, it has a really nice built-in calendar and there's all sorts of like email templating and things that you can do in it as well, which is nice. And then for my internet browser, which is where I spend a lot of my time, especially as a, a web developer, I'm using Chrome. Chrome, I think is it's one of the best browsers for developers. So if you are trying to get into like web development or something, I've found a lot of people use Chrome. Um, and then for coding, so, oh, actually, let me say for like note taking, like if I'm, let's say I'm talking to someone, I'm taking notes, I'll just use like the built-in OSX note taking app. I really like that. I used to use uh, Notion for a while, which is another note-taking app. One thing I like about Notion is that they support what's called the Markdown syntax. So Markdown is this really cool syntax that a lot of developers use, a lot of other people use it as well, but it's a way to like build sort of formatted documents just with plain text. So I like that about Notion. I haven't been using that as much recently though. And then I, for all the coding that I do, I use a special like code editor. So there's these, when you write code, 
you can write it in just like a normal text editor. That's fine. But a lot of developers, actually most developers will use something called an IDE, which is an integrated development environment. So I use one, which is called VS code, which is pretty popular. And uh, so I'm just running that on my Mac as well. But I think those are probably like the three main apps that I use, the email one, Chrome, and then this uh, Visual Studio Code app as well. Nice, Lo loads to unpick there. So uh, Kim, good to see you. Yusuf, good to see you. And Hazafia, I don't, I don't recognize you. So maybe you're new to the chat or you're just one of those people that normally sit in the background. I know a lot of people uh, watch on the replay as well. So Notion, I'm fairly familiar with Notion. <laughs> As you've probably seen with my channel. Yeah, you have a bunch of videos on it. Yeah. Actually, I think I was watching one of your videos when I was trying to figure out how to, you know, just like getting into Notion. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm familiar with Notion. Markdown is it's probably the my window into coding. It's the first thing I sort mm -hmm. of learned in the, what I would class as the coding realm, I guess you could say yeah. Excel formulas is sort of coding, but... Yeah, I mean, so Markdown is very similar to a computer programming technology. We call it a markup language, which is called HTML. So HTML, it's a markup language, which we use to describe the user interface and the different elements that are on a web page. It's very, very basic. This is like one of the oldest web technologies. But Markdown was originally created so that you could write HTML without actually having to know it. So HTML has this we call it like an XML-like syntax. So it's this very like sort of coder syntax. There's like less than, greater than signs and everything in it. But then you can use Markdown to generate HTML pages just using plain text. So it, actually, if you're not into coding at all and you wanna yeah, have a little foray into doing something like that, Markdown's a good thing to learn because it's just super useful. Yeah, I've I've done a I've I've watched a couple of your older videos uh, on HTML because I was like that's probably the easiest one to to dive into to start yeah. with because uh, it's it's so similar to Markdown. So went through that one quite quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you'll learn all this all the main HTML concepts. Well, maybe not all of them, but you'll learn a lot of the HTML concepts with Markdown. So it's a nice entryway into into learning HTML. Yeah, yeah, I, I did notice a lot of crossover. Yeah. Okay, so so you mentioned your calendar app. Do you use your calendar as your main task manager, your to-do to list type thing? Or do you have yeah. a... Dude, app? I have had such a weird like history with to-do like, to apps. It's actually funny because when you're, when you're teaching coding, a lot of times people will teach like build a to-do list app. So I've built like to-do list apps like so many times, like the most basic version of it. Um, so yeah, especially cause I do a lot of consulting, like contracting work. So I have a lot of meetings and things that I need to keep track of. Um, and so, yeah, I, I will generally use that for anything that I have where I have to remember it and I need to get reminded of it. So like a good example, like last year I was living in Sydney for like seven months and I was, this is like during coronavirus. So I had a full-time job in Sydney and then I was doing like two like contracting jobs. So, and they were like, half of them were in the United States, half of them were in Australia. So it was like, I'd wake up at like 5 a.m. I'd have a meeting and then like an hour later, I have another meeting and then like I have this other thing at like three. So like, yeah, I use the calendar app just like to organize all of that. But then I guess as far as like day-to-day -day stuff goes, I generally don't have like a to-do where I'm like tracking, like here's all the tasks and then I like check them off. I've tried to do that. I just don't think it fits with my like, productivity style that's that's uh, it's so funny that you say that where funny ironic is most other people that have come on uh, mm. are they they use 
a, li a litany of apps. They've used loads of apps or they use this one or that one. Uh, and it's normally a, a this v this. And you're just like, nah, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more, I think for me, like my, I don't know. I always, whenever I think about like productivity or something like how do I manage all these things? I always like to think of it more in terms of like the system that you're using to do all that as opposed to the specific app. So I always think like, how should I be like organizing my day? How should I be organizing my task? Like what's the best way to do that? And then I find an app that sort of follows that philosophy. I don't know. Um, but I have found a lot of apps. Like if I am doing something like that, I really like to be able to say like, here's my task. And then I want to be able to add notes to it. I want to be able to add images to it and all, and all sorts of stuff like that. And I think for me, it's like, it's, it's just so complicated. Like, I like to just keep it simple and like not do anything like that. So I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I assume you have a bit of paper then when you're writing your notes down on things. Yeah, I'll usually just like, if if I am going to plan something out, I'll just open up a note in the morning and be like, you know, here's all the things I want to do. And then just kind of hold it in my head as opposed to like having some app where I'm organizing all of it. Okay, Ahmed, good to see you. Kevin, also good to see you. So you said you explored Notion. What, yeah. What were you using Notion for? Are you still using it? Yeah. So I originally was using Notion just as like a note taking app. Like I said, because a lot of times I would write notes and then I would want to format them in Markdown because Mark, that, like, to me, Markdown was the main thing. Like I think I was Googling like note taking app that supports Markdown just because when you learn Markdown, it, it is so easy to add in like tables and you can add images, you can add links, you can add bullet points, you can add ordered lists, you can do all these different things in it. So for me, I was like, okay, I want to, um, I, yeah, I want to try to like organize my life and like keep track of like the things that I want to do and the goals that I want to have. It's actually funny. Like, um, so the last like six months I've been kind of just like trying to implement some sort of a productivity system in my life. Like, so I, what I wanted to do was have like different categories or different things that I would, was trying to different goals I was trying to achieve or whatever, like exercising, you know, working on my little business, like working, doing whatever. So I wanted to kind of have, you know, just be able to like write down all that stuff and like keep track of it. And I thought notion would be a really good way to do that because it like supported markdown. You can do all sorts of linking. You can have like data tables and templates and everything. And so I, I actually did end up like setting up this whole sort of like life framework thing where I, you know, I had like, here's all my goals and like, here's, you know, check marks and like things that I want to do this week or next week or whatever. But then I just like, didn't keep up with it. And uh, I don't know, it just didn't work for me, you know? So yeah, I think that's, that was why I use notion, but I, I did get it really into like the templates and like, you know, adding like custom fields. Actually, if you if you can learn all that Notion stuff, it's not that dissimilar to like software engineering, where because you're just like really what we do in software engineering is we're just organizing and keeping track of data. And I found in Notion like you're just doing that at a more like what we would say abstract level. So it's like you're not as exposed to like the low level code, but it that, it's a lot of the same concepts, ironically. That's what I found. So I'm, I would say I'm quite proficient with Notion, having mm -hmm. having used it for about three years, and I'm looking into the the coding behind the scenes, and it's completely different language, mm -hmm. but a lot of the 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 high level thinking, it's it's very very similar. So yeah, I'm I'm going to go a little a little bit sideways here. So are you familiar with Tiago Forte's work? No, I don't think so. 
So Tiago Forte is a productivity individual, has a whole course about building a second brain. Mm-hmm. You can go research him in your own time. There's loads yeah. of stuff I could say about it. Um, but essentially, right. he, he has this framework called PARA, Projects, Areas, Resources, and Archives. And areas is what you were sort of categorizing different things, tasks and projects and stuff. Right. Um, so that, that might be something 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 to look at just in, in general. Uh, yeah. And it's it's funny that you say you were looking for a, an application with Markdown, right? Yeah. Are you familiar with Obsidian or Rome? No, I don't think so. Okay, so Rome, Rome is paid, and it's it's Rome is bidirectional linked, unlinked references, network thought. There's a graph view, and there's other stuff. It's paid, mm-hmm. and it's on. It's based on the browser. Obsidian, I think, would be a really interesting application for you to dive into because it's literally Markdown files stored locally. Markdown files is still got the backlinks, unlinked references, and people yeah. build external plugins that you can. Yeah throw in throw on um and that's kind of where i'm actually learning to code right now i'm just picking apart other people's plugins <laughs> right what are the plugins right now uh javascript brian who's just joined chat i spoke with him a couple of days ago obsidian mm-hmm. is life he's been using obsidian way longer than me um yeah. but yeah i i believe javascript js yeah, yeah. Um, JS is the file that shows up in Visual Studio Code. So yeah, JavaScript. Oh, you're, using, you're using a little VS Code too. I I opened it up today um, yeah. and started learning a little bit today. So I, TypeScript is TypeScript. What... Yeah, absolutely, man. I love TypeScript. TypeScript's the best. There you go. So yeah. <laughs> So uh, I, I uh, spoke with Brian a couple of days ago. The live stream's on the channel. So maybe if you sort of after this, I don't know, have a look at have a look at the live, see what see what we spoke about and go through, and then obviously head over to his channel because he's got loads more on Obsidian than I do because I'm I'm new to the app. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I think with your with your coding knowledge, that that may be maybe an application to give you a little bit more flexibility because Notion, even though it's amazing, yeah, it's still a little bit restrictive. Yeah, it's funny. So I, I was going on this like, you know, productivity journey, like trying to figure out, just trying to figure out like how to like manage my life. And I, yeah, I was using Notion, like I was using a couple other things, like I was using Evernote to just like trying to figure out what's, and eventually I just ended up building my own little app just for myself. So like the app has like a journal and like I can track my food and exercise and finances and everything. So it's kind of cool. Like if you, you know, if you like when you, you know, you can use something like notion, which I think is really good because it works at a high level. And if you learn how to configure it the right way, then, you know, it can be really productive, but at the same time, you can also, if you learn how to code, then you can just go in and build your own custom tools, which is, uh, it's kind of empowering as well. And I, ironically, I don't even really use the app that much anymore, but (laughs) just found that that whole thing just like, doesn't really work for me, but, uh, it was kind of fun to just build it and yeah, go on that, like building a productivity app. Right. I guess that was kind of what I did, which was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, it's cool. It's amazing how like little coding, you not coding knowledge you need and you can build, like you can literally build custom apps for yourself or for your friends or whatever. It's just like really fun. Yeah. That's, that's actually, so uh, what Yusuf has just mentioned, I think Obsidian is the most suitable app for developers. If uh, it even has a Vim mode, which I, I didn't even realize what Vim was until uh, Brian mentioned it. So, yeah, Vim is this like for people who don't know, Vim's this like ancient text editor that uh, is pretty much running on every like operating system in the world, or so or some version of Vim. So yeah, it's like 
But if you see like hackers in you know movies and they're just like typing out, they're not using the mouse at all. They're using Vim. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Uh, yeah, it's, I was, was going to say it's kind of interesting that I know you know how to code, and like you mentioned earlier, you've built multiple task list apps. It's just I I don't know. I kind of I didn't expect I don't expect coders to build their own apps like all yeah. the time because that's a lot of work, a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Have you thought about building your own productivity app or have you built apps before? And well, as in like built and sold, gone through that whole app. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever built and sold like a straight up productivity app. But like I said, like a couple months ago, um, I basically just took a couple weeks and built out this little, uh, yeah, just like life app for myself. (laughs) Like, so the idea is it, it just manages like, like I basically just found, okay, what are these other apps out there? Like exercise tracker, food tracker, journal, dream journal, uh, finance tracker. I think I had another one on there too. I don't know. But anyway, just like all these little productivity things to run my life. And then like, they were all kind of got integrated together. Maybe I should like open source that the app it's, I mean, it's kind of cool. Like it works. Um, but I think, yeah, it is interesting because Personally, I think within 10 or 15 years, I don't think a lot of people are going to be writing code anymore. I think that platforms like Notion or Obsidian, like you guys are talking about, um, or there's like this other big platform, which is called Webflow. Like there's basically going to be a bunch of these tools that allow you to build apps and websites and mobile apps, whatever games without having to write any code. I, I, I think that the, the era of the developer having to go in there and like, you know, <laughs> code in the same thing a million times is, is going to come to an end. So yeah, I mean, I, I embrace all that stuff, like those productivity, like general purpose kind of, you know, apps where you can customize them a lot. I think that's the future. Yeah. I, I've, I mean, I've heard of the, the applications you've mentioned. I have a, so I have a vault in Obsidian, which is basically just where you store your documents. And I've, I've got about 900 different applications in there doing, a variety of different things. A lot yeah. of them, no code builders or websites like Webflow or WordPress, Squarespace, etc. So you don't need to see the the, the, yeah. the muddy, dirty code behind it all. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Because most of the time, if you're building an app, it's like it's so simple. There's just you have data somewhere, and then you need to display that data to the user. The and then the user needs to be able to modify that data. That's like ninety percent of what we do as software engineers. It's just that there's 10,000 ways you can do that with all the different programming languages and everything. So I do think there needs to be like more of a standard or more of an easy way to do that. Um, and which is where I think a lot of these apps, like I was playing around with, this is like a year ago at this point, but I was playing around with Wix. I don't know if you've ever heard of Wix. Wix is yeah. like one of those like Squarespace uh, WordPress competitors, but man, they have some like seriously awesome developer tools in there. Like you can, I mean, it's a little shaky, but like you can go in there and you can modify and like change everything about the code of the website. So I think these tools are just getting so much more powerful. Like, yeah, the the idea that you got to go in and learn TypeScript is like, I think it'll be kind of outdated in like 15 years. Yeah, I mean, you you can you can put up a website on literally anything. You could go. I mean, WordPress is probably the most difficult. Like, like it's the most customizable for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and you don't need to know any code to be able to put a website up. It's just... Yeah, man, and, and the thing about WordPress is like, yeah, you don't need to know any code, but if you want to go in and modify the code, you absolutely can. So WordPress is all in this programming language called PHP, 
which ironically, like PHP is kind of considered, well, I don't know if it's universally considered this way, but it's like one of the sort of older languages, you know, nobody's like getting too excited about writing PHP nowadays. And yet it run PHP, like I think WordPress is like, I, I actually don't know this statistic, but it's like over 50% of the websites on the internet are like using WordPress or it was like that at some point. And then like Facebook uses PHP, which is the same language as WordPress. So it's like, there's this one programming language, PHP, which like no one wants to write code in and it runs like literally over half the internet. It's crazy. Yeah, but the last time I saw the stat with WordPress, it was at 68%, but I know that was a couple of years ago and with Square, Squarespace. Dude, I was thinking like 50, that's crazy. I know Squarespace so, is pushing their ads, so. So over 60% of the websites online right now are running from WordPress. Like, that's crazy, you know what I mean? And then everyone wants their own custom site, which they could probably build with WordPress anyway, so. Yeah, dude, I think, I, I once again, man, 15, 20 years from now, I don't think we're gonna be writing too much code. I really don't. No, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That is a, it's a good thing, trust me. Yeah, yeah, Here's the problem with computer programming, man, is like, it's a very like technical skill because you have to literally write instructions. Like you just have to write a list of instructions that covers every scenario. And the, the main problem with people getting into it is there's this massive learning curve. Right. So you can learn how to code in probably like 10 hours if you really want to. You'll know the basics. You'll understand how it works. But to actually be able to build a, like an application or a system that is like secure, that's scalable, that is, you know, fast to build an application that's maintainable by other developers and that's well written. That's something that takes years and years to learn how to do. And it just comes from experience. So I think. Nowadays, we have this problem where you have a lot of developers who know how to write code, but they don't know how to build software. Like they don't know how to like architect applications. And so you end up just having these applications that suck, right? So we need, I think one thing we absolutely need in this, like the computer programming industry is standards. We need a standard way of doing things because it's just kind of like the wild west right now. So yeah, I think getting rid of the need to write all this code will just make everything better <laughs> because then it's just, it's more standardized and then I don't know, I think it'll just be a lot better. But I definitely don't think we're there yet. We need 15 years, like I said, something like that. Yeah, it's interesting that you say standardizing like the, the code because exploring applications. So I've, I've gone through a fair few applications and they all do essentially the same thing with the same features. They just have yeah. different words for the same yep. thing. And it becomes very hard from a user perspective. You're thinking so, what's this where's that um I, I wish it was all the same just same same buttons just different name or something yeah exactly man exactly so yeah so like in other industries like if you're getting into you know electrical engineering or like if you're trying to build a building or if you're an architect designing some massive structure like there's standards that you need to uphold there's a standardized body that's like regulating all of that. You need to get things passed by inspection. In the software industry, there's none of that. There's zero standards, there's zero accountability. So then you end up getting these software systems that cost $20, $20 million to make, or in some cases like $100 million to make, and then they, they just suck. Like in the United States, we had this, um, what do we have? We, had, we were doing like, uh, universal healthcare. So there's this thing called, um, yeah, basically like we call it Obamacare, right? Healthcare.gov was this website. You could go and sign up for healthcare. 
And it took literally, I think they spent like a, over a billion dollars on the, or no, maybe not a billion, like a hundred million dollars on the website. They spent way too much money on this website and it sucked and it crashed and the infrastructure was terrible. It wasn't scalable. The code was horrible. Like this is like a classic example where you, just because you're spending a lot of money on a software project doesn't mean it's going to be good. And I think the reason is because we don't have standards. Like there's just no, um, there's no, there's no standards for building these things. So the sooner we can get off of that, the better, because it's, it's a disaster. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, Andy asked a question earlier in chat. Can you show your app, which you have developed? I don't know whether you, whether you're, yeah, I have it on my phone. I can show it real quick. Um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. So I have this little, this is like, there's like a little journal and then there's like this slider. You can like, I can't even move this. You can like see how your day was. And then like, yeah, so then I have all these, like, there's, like, a journal, expenses, food, exercise. So, like, here's, like, the expenses thing. There's, you know, you can, like, log expenses and everything. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe I'll open source the code so other people can use it. It could be kind of fun. But I think it's actually, that's, again, one of the cool things about when you learn how to code is you can just build little tools for yourself. Like, I'll always, I'm always writing little scripts to, like, do stuff, you know, that I just don't want to do or or to be able to keep track of stuff. And it's actually not that difficult if you know what you're doing. So do you use Alfred Text Expander, AutoHotKey, something equivalent of for shortcuts? Um, no, I would just use something like Python, uh, which is another programming language or something. There's another one called Node.js. Yeah, so you just use like these these programming languages. There's like, I've used like AutoHotKeys and stuff like that before, which, which are good, but the problem is they're not as like customizable, you know, it's you're kind of limited to what they give you. So if you use a programming language like Python or JavaScript, then you can, you can have more control over that. But again, it's, you know, you have to know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Cause I use also hockey at the moment. Um, yeah. so. oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, actually, I used to use that for, um, when I used to make videos like a few years ago, like computer programming tutorials, I used auto hotkey. So I mapped, like I forget what the keys were exactly, but it might've been like option shift one or something was like, would like zoom in and then option shift two would zoom out. So I could like easily zoom in on stuff and zoom out. Yeah, it's, it's funny because using, like we're talking about, you know, productivity apps and stuff, like using something like auto hotkey, it's amazing how, how much you can customize. Like a lot of people are, you know, they're upset because, their operating system, Windows, Mac, whatever, doesn't have this one feature. It's like, you can add that feature in very easily. You don't need to know how to code. You could use something like uh, like AutoHotKey, which is kind of fun. Yeah, um, I, I'm using it at the moment to do a lot of, obviously, a yeah. lot of shortcuts and hotkeys and things. Um, but yeah, if, if slash when I learn how to code it, oh, yeah. it's going to make life so much easier. <laughs> you know what's a cool app, since we're talking about productivity apps? Have you ever heard of Zapier? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I don't know if you've used it much, but I I have used it in different points in my life. But for those who don't know what it is, so Zapier is like this, it's sort of like an integration platform. So you can integrate in like all of the different apps that you use, right? So you could you could say like, hey, if I get an email on my Gmail, I want you to send me an alert as a text, and then I want you to email this person. Or like if I, you know, save a document into Google Drive or whatever, I want you to like send that to someone's email, whatever. You can just like set up all these things. So when something happens in this app that you use, something happens in this other app. So you can sort of like connect and like build out all this logic 
um, again, without having to know how to code. So have you used either Plexi or Integromat? Neither. I don't think so. so. But both of those are essentially Zapier or Zapier, um, just a little bit. I don't want to say better, but you get way more options. So Integromat looks more developer codey because there's, there's less of a front interface, but you can do much more with like the, the actual data. So you can pick yeah. what, for example, when you're using your, your Google Calendar, an event to put it, I don't know, Todoist or into an Excel spreadsheet, whatever, you can take certain bits of data and take it out and put it in and change what you want. And you can do multiple steps with it. So Integromat's really, really nice. Oh, that's cool, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like really. the idea that you have more like customizable options with the data. Because uh, again, a lot of times when we're writing computer programs, that's all we're doing is literally we're just like working. Like we just have this data and we need to move it over here and then we need to move it over here. But while it moves over here, we need to transform it in some way and then it goes over here. Like that's it. That's all literally all we're doing in, in coding is just moving data around. So yeah, that's very cool. Thank you, Andy. Very, very appreciated. Loving the super stickers. Um, Andy, I'll skip to your question. So is there any platform where I can develop my own app without coding like WordPress for creating sites? So I'm assuming he wants to build an app. Yeah. So building a website, just like a portfolio website or an information website, it's super easy using something like WordPress. If you want to get into building an app, you know, like something that's more, has more logic associated to it or something that is more, yeah, just something that's more like interactive, like with the user and you're like storing data and retrieving data. It's a little bit harder. Um, there is a site. So I think I talked about this uh, a little bit earlier. Um, Webflow, I think is the name of the app. Actually, let me make sure. Webflow does build applications. It is a, it is a no code web builder. Yeah. So Webflow is a, yeah, so Webflow is, it's similar to WordPress, it's kind of the same idea, but they have, basically you can design out your website and then you can add logic to it. And you can also store data, you can handle like payments and stuff like that. So you're going to have to learn how Webflow works and there might be like a little bit of coding, but that's probably would be my recommended way of doing it. I haven't done a ton in Webflow, but I know that it's very powerful and I've seen a lot of powerful apps built with it. So I would check out Webflow. WordPress is also... Uh, usable. I, I, I would think that WordPress is probably less beginner friendly if you're trying to get into like the app building side of it, because you will have to write some custom code um, or you're going to have to use like a bunch of different plugins. But yeah, I would check out Webflow, which uh, I think is pretty nice. Yeah. So when looking to build anything outside of, because I know, I know an application is essentially a, a web, a web page of some sort doing stuff, unless it's a, a local app. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, so it, it really depends on what it's running on. So application is kind of a general word. You could have a web app, which is run by the browser. So it's loaded up on a user's browser. But you could also load that up on like a mobile phone using, like you could package it up so that it could be run on a mobile phone. Uh, and then you could write mobile apps, which a lot of times are written using the same technology as web apps. So yeah, it's it, there's a lot of like, cross-contamination between like building a website, building a mobile app, building a desktop app, building, you know, whatever, like there, you can do a lot of that stuff using the same languages and everything like that. So build a building out. So for example, the app that you built there, you built that, you wrote that in, are you VS code? You mentioned earlier. So you, you wrote mm -hmm. it there and then you just what, put it on your phone. How, how did that 
how does that yeah, work? Yeah, so the, the app that I built here is what's called a progressive web app, a PWA. And you can write these apps using JavaScript. So I used a, a JavaScript library, which is called React to build it. And basically you build a website just like you would normally build a website and it, but you build it so that it looks like a mobile app. So it's built to run on a mobile phone. So like I can pull up the app again. So like this app here, um, for example, like this is a website. So I built this using like web technologies, like exactly the way I would build a normal website if I was building it for like a client or something. But then I make it look like a mobile app. And then um, Google Chrome allows you to sort of like add that to your home screen as what's called a progressive web app, which means it'll act a lot like a mobile app. You can have a lot of like the offline features that you would have in a normal mobile app, but it's all using web technology. So it's a little bit, it can be a little bit slower, a little bit choppier because it's running on a browser instead of running natively on your device. But it's, it's like, 80% of what you would get from a mobile app and then you don't have to do anything different. So it's kind of cool. Uh, and then kind of followed up Webflow is great. So he obviously is aware of it. Have you worked with Electron JS? I've heard of Electron, <laughs> uh, but I'm not hundred percent sure what it is. Um, and do you have any opinions about it? Yeah, I haven't done a ton of stuff in Electron, although I, I do know what it is. So Electron is, it's a way that you can build like native desktop apps well, I don't know if they're actually considered native, but you can build desktop apps, like something that would run on a Windows or like a Mac computer using JavaScript. So it's kind of similar to that library I talked about before, which is called React. Um, but yeah, basically you use web technology to build a app that runs on a desktop. And this is a really, really, really common theme nowadays in development, which is using web technologies to build desktop and mobile apps as opposed to just web apps. And it's just because so many developers know that, know how to build web apps and that ecosystem is so big that it's just kind of easier to have one thing get ported over to a bunch of other things. That makes sense. It does make sense. And obviously if people are used to it then. Yeah, but just to wrap up about Electron, I, I'm pretty sure there's some big companies that use it. So I, I think it's like totally legit, yeah. I'm pretty, I'm like an 85% sure Notion uses Electron, so. Yeah, actually, I think they do because Notion has, funny enough, like this little app that I built on my phone, I, for the, I have like a little journal app on there and I, I'm using Notion's text editor on there. So Notion has like their text editor open sourced and it's all written using this React language I was talking about. And, uh. So yeah, I'm actually using that in this app. It's cool, yeah. So I, I technically like this app is using Notion just from kind of like an embedded perspective. It's using their text editor. Just, just a little bit of it. So you say text editor, what's the difference mm -hmm. between a Notion text editor and a an, another application text editor? Yeah, the, the Notion text editor supports markdown syntax. So you can type into the Notion editor, you can just type in markdown and it'll automatically format it for you, which is like really cool. And that's, that's really what I was, what I, one of the reasons I liked Notion was because it, it did that just for that text editor. So it's, um, it's kind of cool. Yeah. And it looks like Brian's saying that Obsidian and Discord are Electron based. So that's awesome. Yeah. I think yeah. Slack also might be Electron based. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but I feel like I remember hearing about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure as well. Um, and there are so many applications Electron based. <laughs> Yeah. I thought I thought Rome was, but apparently he's saying our uh, Rome's PWA. I don't know what PWA is. Oh, you mentioned that. Uh, 
progressive web app. Yeah. So that's what I was talking about where the app can run in multiple environments and in multiple network environments. So it'll run, it can still function if you're offline, it can function on a mobile device, it can function on all those different things. Um, and so like when we're talking about things like Electron or the, like the PWA, it's more of a kind of a thin wrapper around your like existing web app that allows you to port it over. So it's not really like, you know, it's not too involved in like the actual development of it. You're more so you're just using those like web technologies and then those things kind of just like help to wrap it up and, uh, you know, port it over to some other environment. Right. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I'm yeah. trying to like get, get the analogies in. I hope I'm not getting too technical here. It's hard to, yeah, it's, it's hard to turn that off sometimes. I know. I like it's when I'm consuming the information, like th that's my wallpaper. And I try and like, I try and attach whatever it is I'm learning to something I already know space is the analogy I use. So I'm like trying to attach it. So I don't forget it later on. I'm going to watch the stream back anyway, but it means when someone asks me a question about it, instead of me going, go watch uh, 36 minutes into your, into the live stream, I can, I can actually like, yeah, you have it in your head. Of course, man. Learning and growing. I love it. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, always learning. Okay. Andy asked this question a while back. What languages, um, wh what languages do you use, essentially? For, yeah, for software development, um, a lot of it depends on what I'm teaching. So I, I teach a lot on my YouTube channel. So I've, I mean, I've done, I've taught in every, pretty much every major language. Um, but when I'm working professionally, like mostly I would be working in front end web development. So JavaScript environments, uh, that's kind of just like what I like, enjoy doing. Um, I've also done a bunch of Python stuff, but yeah, I think probably my main languages are like JavaScript and Python. Yeah. Right. Um, Esteban, I, I don't know. I'm going to guess JavaScript, but maybe you yeah, have I think notions built in, uh, JavaScript. Actually, let me, I can look it up. They have a big GitHub. They have like GitHub is like this place where you can put code, but let me see. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, it looks like, yeah, they have a lot in JavaScript, C++, Java, and Golang. Looks like most of it's JavaScript though. Yeah, I think it's just JavaScript. Right, How? so is that is that a public GitHub repository? Yeah, so if you, I mean, I can, I think this is it. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is definitely it. I'll put a link in the, can I post a comment? You should be able to. I'm not sure whether a link Anyway, but yeah, if, if you just type in Notion GitHub, like it'll pop up. But yeah, that's just like, so they actually have a lot of open source code. Like I said, I used one of their um, open source. Open source just means like the code is free and available to anyone. So you can just, anyone can use it, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's cool yeah, when companies do that when they open source all their stuff. It's nice. Yeah, the the Notion Enhancer. I I I'm not sure how many people work on the Notion Enhancer. I know there's one main person that works with it, uh, but that's an add-on to Notion. Uh, yeah. And I I know people have asked for that to be developed. And there's it's it's one of those things. So Obsidian, like I mentioned earlier, you have third-party individuals building plugins to go onto the app, and Notion yeah. enhances the the main one for Notion, when it comes to that and adding things on without having access to the main code, when updates happen, things can break. Mm -hmm. uh, is is that because of the way something happens with the plugin that 
like they change in the update or how does why is there normally that that friction yeah it's probably has to do with like so you have this plugin which is sort of hooking into or like using the code that like the main notion code so then if this code changes and this plugin doesn't update itself to kind of respond to that then the plugin will break um i'm guessing that's what's happening that's normally what happens in like plugin systems but that's kind of on the plugin developer so a lot of times you have plugins for different things like vs code has plugins notion has plugins and you'll see you know you'll have a plugin that's sort of we call it deprecated or like not unsupported which basically means the developers aren't going to keep updating it to keep matching the changes that happen in the main code base so like whenever the notion team changes their code in some way if the plugin doesn't adapt to that then it stops working so that's why these plugins need to be maintained and a lot of times the plugins will be open source like i'm saying which means the code is available for free and then anybody can come in and update it if they want so it's kind of a kind of an interesting process yeah, so when you see the this plugin works from this version onwards, I'm assuming that's just assuming the developer doesn't change the whatever bit that they're using onwards. Yeah, we have this concept in software engineering called semantic versioning, uh, which is basically just how we version things in our apps. You'll see an app which has, it's like version 2.5.7 or something. So anytime that you have what's called a uh, a breaking change, that would be, basically a change that would break those plugins, that would be a new version number. So they would go from like version 2 point whatever, whatever to 3.0.0. Um, and generally those updates don't happen as often. So it might be like maybe a couple times a year, but unless something like that happens, then generally the plugins probably won't break. And that's called, like I said, it's called semantic versioning. I like it. Bringing in the terms, like I can, I can recognize all the all the numbers. I'm like that number's bigger than that one. This one's this right. one's newer. <laughs> Basically, if the first number changes, then the plugins might start to break. <laughs> Otherwise, they, they shouldn't break. There should be everything should be backwards compatible. So how do how does someone decide? Okay, we're going to change we're going to change it from version two to version three. What's what, what's that tick? Is that just a subjective, let's go yeah. to three now? Well, it's generally, if you have a what we call a major version change, which would be that first number, so from two to three or three to four, that would mean that something, that would basically mean that there's been big, what we call breaking changes in the app, which means that if you're using version 3.0.0 and you try to sort of integrate that in with version two point whatever, whatever, then they're they're going to break. So that would be a situation where those plugins might start breaking because you know now the notion or whoever has changed something major about their app so it's like a major breaking change is what we call it right okay and with with applications moving forward so there's an app that i explored a couple of weeks ago called the brain uh, and it's it's on version like 11 point something or mm -hmm. other um and it it looks quite uh dated <laughs> let's yeah. put it that way the the features are very very new there's loads of functionality but it, it looks looks quite dated as an application yeah it, could could someone go in and just change the look of the app or do you reckon that would that would be difficult or how, how easy do you think that would be it sh it should be really easy generally like the hard part of building an app is getting that functionality to work is making sure that it's not buggy 
then any you know you could just come in and give it like a facelift so if it's if it's written in like web technologies like javascript and these other two languages called html and css it would be very easy to go in and change everything because you wouldn't need to change any of the logic or any of the code or any of the functionality. You would just need to change the way things look. So yeah, it's like if you if there is a website out there, like what you're describing, there's actually a lot of websites like that where they're actually work really well and they're built well, but they're just styled really poorly. It's just, it's one of the easiest things that you can change in your app is just making it look good. If, if you know what you're doing. Um, but yeah, it's usually not that difficult to do that. Okay, okay, yeah, because it's when when looking at the application, it's probably one of the best mind mapping, note taking tools that I've seen mm -hmm. um, on on the web, and it also supports local markdown as well. So that's that was also quite nice. Obsidian is yeah. very what's very close. The, what's the website's name? I'm pretty sure it's just the Brain App. <laughs> um, oh yeah, here it is. The ultimate yeah. digital memory. Yeah, that's the one. That's oh, the one. Oh yeah. Okay, this definitely looks kind of dated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. I think it was made like 02, 2002, something like that. They started talking about it in like '98, uh, but the most recent beta update came out like a couple of months ago. But when yeah. you actually look at the app, you think, when was this built? <laughs> right. Yeah, it looks like it was built in 2000 in 2002. <laughs> Yes. Um, like I say, it looks very dated, but the functionality, they've got backlinks, they've got unlinked references, they've got mapping, they've got all of the things you would want and that you see in all of the, the notions, the obsidians, the roams, ample note, rem note, insert whatever app. It just looks awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess it, it, some of it depends on how the app's built, like how easy it is to restyle it. But so I guess it would depend. I don't want to say that it's like really easy. Um, but yeah, generally like the, so building out like the way that something looks is a lot different than building out the functionality and the logic and the different, you know, handling all the different error cases and everything in an app. So there really are two, you could almost break it into like two industries. Like if you're doing any sort of app development, there's the styling aspect of it, like the design and the user experience, like how is the, what's the user's experience like as they click through the app or whatever. And then there's just like, does the app work? You know, like, can we handle the the user trying all these different things? And like, can we route the data correctly and all that? So yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, generally user interfaces are pretty easy to spruce up. That's that's certainly the 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 vibe I'm getting from a lot of. I don't I don't want to I don't want to moan and rant and rave about beginner videos because they're just like two hour lectures or. 10 minute videos that don't actually teach you anything. They're just talking about something like something. Um, so it's, it's from me anyway, looking at uh, YouTube's my main source of learning. Yeah. Uh, the, the YouTube videos are very, I mean, your videos are shorter, so they're much easier to consume, mm -hmm. but a lot of the videos are really long. It's yeah. Not, not I mean, it's, like I said, it's coding, unfortunately, is one of those things where there's just like this massive learning curve and there's so many like dis there's so many disparate topics that you need to understand and then you need to combine them all together <laughs> and then somehow you need to like you know maintain all of that in your brain so you have a mapping of how it all works so it's yeah it's it's like it's tough teaching coding because especially in the past few years like there's been this big um 
push of like learn X, Y thing in four hours or in like 3.5 hours or whatever. And those, those videos do really well with the YouTube algorithm. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, like, like just sitting down for four hours and like trying to learn how to code can make your brain hurt for sure. It's not, it's not a video. I, I think Brian said when we were streaming there a couple of days ago, he was saying you can have a look at the source code and try and break it, see what happens and work through. And that's exactly what I'm thinking. And when you, when you watch one of those videos, it's not one of those videos you're going to sit there and go, okay, I'm going to listen to this for three and a half hours and then I get it. It's I'm going to listen to two minutes, then Google, how do you do this? How do I do that? And test it out. Right. And the video. <laughs> right. uh, so yeah. it's certainly a resource to go back to. Exactly, man. It's uh, yeah, there is, there's some aspects of it where you do have to get a conceptual understanding, but most of the time, like if you're trying to learn how to code, 80% of it is just like exactly what you're saying. You just got to break the code, figure out why it broke and then break it again, figure out why it broke again, do that 10,000 times. And then you'll start to get an idea of, of what's going on. But yeah. Especially for me, like recently I've been thinking a lot about like, what's the best way to, teach people not just like computer programming, but like I'm saying, how to build applications. So I think I touched on this before, like you can learn how to code in you know 10 hours if you want, um, you'll understand the basics, but it's not gonna prepare you for working on a real code base or working on a real application because there's just so many other things that need to go into that. So I've been trying to, trying to just think through like what's the best way to introduce that. I don't know, that's been one of, my, one of the things that's been on my mind recently. Yeah, I've definitely seen it in some of the videos. And I'm, I'm sure like people in your comment section are giving you some ideas. <laughs> yeah, that's what I love about it is to just like, I'll make a video just kind of talking through some thoughts that I have. And then, um, you know, people can respond. And it's just so fun to see what people think. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly sifting through comments. It's actually one of the things I like doing about YouTube is you watch the video and then you see what people have to say about it. Sorry. Yeah, I love a good comment section, man. You gotta gotta love it. <laughs> okay, um, Andy. So I, I saw this question. I've been hovering over it. We sort of glossed over. It. I don't know whether there's something specific you have to to answer this. But Andy's saying, okay, I live in Russia and it's awful. Uh, yeah. What lang what language do I need to learn Python or JavaScript to emigrate to USA? What is more popular? Interesting question. I, honestly, I would say you can't, you probably won't go wrong with either of them. If I had to pick two languages for you to pick from, it would be Python and JavaScript. Um, my recommendation would be, you need to think about what they're gonna be used for. So JavaScript is very, JavaScript is probably the most popular language, especially for jobs. I mean, I don't have statistics on that, but just kind of the pulse that I have in the industry. So JavaScript is going to be used for building mostly websites. So web apps, you know, you'll be, you could be working on like the user interface of websites, you could be working on the back end of a website using something like Node.js, which is also JavaScript. So JavaScript would be, you're going to be building more like websites, web apps, stuff like that. Maybe some mobile apps. Um, Python is used a lot in like machine learning, data science. Python is really popular. Um, like cybersecurity uses Python a lot. Um, I think there's there's probably more of a like a straightforward path from like not being a coder to entering the industry with JavaScript. So if I had to recommend one 
I'd probably say JavaScript, but like I said, it's more about just getting better at coding. So you can't really go wrong with either. And there's a lot of jobs in, in either one. Nice. So I guess to, to follow up with that one with uh, Andy, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Andy. Um, yeah. So to follow up with that one, you mentioned earlier, maybe 15, 20 years time, we won't see as many coders or any or to, to some extent. Uh, yeah. Would you say it's still worth learning to code if the, the industry is potentially decreasing? Oh yeah, it's definitely still worth learning to code. Yeah, so let me, maybe I can, um, I guess, rephrase what I said earlier. So I think that it will be possible for anyone to build a full scale, full stack application without any code in 15 years, like I said. Um, I don't, however, think that there won't be any more programmers. The reason being there's billions and billions of dollars that are, have been, are invested in, in code right now. Right. So look at something like, you know, big companies like Amazon or Facebook or Uber or whatever. And then all the little companies as well, they, they've all, they all have millions of lines of code that they're maintaining and keeping track of and that are running their apps. Those things aren't going to go away. So there's, there's always going to be a need for people to be computer programmers. There's always going to be a need for people to write code. I just don't think that, for example, if you're sitting there and being like, oh, I have an app idea, like I want to build this app. I think 20 years from now, you won't need to hire a team of developers to build that for you. You'll be able to just kind of build it on your own. But I, there's like, there's just too much code for it to all go away. So yeah, coding is a job that will never, probably never, go, never go away. I don't know. I feel like there's always going to be need to be people writing code. It's just, um, yeah, it, I just, I think it will probably not be as like necessary as it is nowadays. It'll probably be more of like a niche thing. I don't, I don't know. That's just like an idea that I have about it, but. Yeah. So the, the way, the way I think about it in my mind is when you go back in history and looking at the jobs and how human evolves, et cetera, et cetera, you look at farming, farming, there aren't that many farmers, but they used, it used to be like everyone. <laughs> now yeah. there's not that many because it's just industrial and the rest of it. Do you reckon something similar is essentially going to happen to the, the coding industry? You'll have the, the main people, groups, companies, whatever that happens to be that do the coding. And then maybe it's, who knows? Maybe it's one person fixing the robot that does the coding. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, maybe what you'd have is like, you'd have a company like Notion, right? Who has this really, or Webflow, like this other thing I was talking about, but they have t like a set of tools that allow you to build, you know, intelligent systems that allow you to build things that are smart and that, you know, are basically applications, but then there's still going to be people who need to teach you how to use notion. There's still going to need to be like, you know, notion experts who can help you to do that. And then there's still going to need to be people working on that notion software. So it's like all the way down, you know, there's going to need to be people who know what they're doing in these different things. There's still going to be jobs. It's just like, instead of you being a computer programmer, maybe you're like a notion expert and you you're like, I'm, I, I have a friend right now who's like, working in Salesforce, which is like a similar, it's like a low code platform. And she's like an expert in Salesforce. She's not a coder, but she's teaching people how to build apps and set up infrastructures in Salesforce. So I think it will probably be similar to that where you'll have somebody who's like maybe less technical, but they know how to use a tool really well. So there'll be like this weird, well, not weird, but there'll be like this new kind of industry of people who know how to use tools really well. Um, App consultants. There are loads of them out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Consultants. Yeah, exactly.
Yeah. So a question I saw that popped into mind uh, when talking about code is when when they've built out whatever application, website, etc. They have that original code. Yeah. I can't imagine going back to that code being something at the top of people's list, un unless I'm completely wrong. Do people go back and like double check, go through their their code? Do they do that, or are they sort of just patching? Yeah. It? So one of the biggest difficulties. A lot of people think that the hardest thing about coding is writing the code. It's actually not. That's the easy part. So as long as you know what you're doing as a developer, you can write code to do anything. Um, the difficult part is writing code that is maintainable and scalable. So those two things right there, the code needs to be able to be easily maintained by other developers. So if I write a bunch of code, you know, another developer should be able to come in, read all of that code, understand it, and then make changes to it. So I need to think when I'm writing my code, how do I write this in such a way where it's easy for someone to come in? And I might do that by using different, like we call them patterns. Like I might design the code a specific way and organize it a specific way. I might use, um, like the way I write it might be more sort of informative. Like in coding, we have this concept of it. Like we name things, like we name pieces of data. Maybe we name those pieces of data better. And then the code base also needs to be scalable which means we need to be able to add code onto it without breaking the existing code. So there is a whole like subsection of this industry that is just concerned with that process, which is making the code more maintainable and testable. And generally the way that we do that is we have things called automated tests. So these tests will sort of run all of the code that we've written and make sure that it's doing what we want it to do. And then we'll also have, so a lot of times when we're writing code, we write it in software development teams. So it's not just me working on a piece of code, it's me and four other developers. And so I might write some code and then I'll submit it for what's called code review. So then the other four members of my team would look at the code that I wrote and they would say, hey, is this good code or is this bad? Like, does this match the code that I just wrote? Is this looking the way that we want it to look? And as long as both of those things are, you know, as long as it passes that code review, then we could say, yeah, it's, it's good code. So it's a big problem is, yeah, just having code that we can go back to and double check and all that. And if you've ever heard the term, uh, the, we have a term for code that's like, that you don't want to touch, we call it legacy code or legacy systems. So that's just code that's not, it's not being maintained. It's not, it's just like super messy and gross and like there's no tests or anything, so. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I, and I guess with, when it comes to testing, testing the code, obviously I, I would imagine the, the users of the application will find the, find the bugs, which I guess is a bit of a, yeah. a great thing and a bad thing for, for the person coding. They're like, they found a bug so I can fix it, but great. They found a bug, more work. <laughs> yeah. There's always going to be bugs, you know, it's just like, it's just part of the deal, I guess. But yeah, it's, um, you can actually, a lot of, like I said, a lot of writing good code, it's not about, you know, I typed in the code correctly. It's more about, you know, am I writing this code to match the rest of the code? Am I writing it to a certain standard? Is this code being reviewed by other people? It's more of like, it's not so much about like, I'm just gonna write perfect code. It's more about like having accountability for all that and tests and everything. Yeah. 
I guess something that sort of come to mind is applications. Some applications update, for example, ClickUp, they have an update every week without fail. A new feature is added. Other applications, Notion being one of them, takes a few months before anything really develops or happens. Mm-hmm. As, as you start building and adding features into an application, I would imagine it's going to slow down to some extent. How how would you or how do people behind the scenes manage the speed of an application when it comes to adding in features? Yeah, it all has to do with um, what's called the methodology of development. So there's a couple different like methodologies that have sort of sprouted up over time. And these are methodologies just means like the way that a team of developers develop software. So one of the most popular ones is called Agile and Agile is a software development methodology, which is used by a lot of teams. And the idea is that you're constantly iterating on your product. So there's this really tight feedback loop between you writing code, the user using that code, and then you being able to fix the bugs that result from that code. Um, so traditionally, like when people were writing software, like back in the you know 20th century, they were using this methodology, which was called waterfall. And the idea is you'd take like eight months and you would build out a piece of software and then you'd test it and then you'd you know do all this other stuff, right? It would go through this big, long eight, one year, two year process, whatever, where it would never, the user would never see it. And then finally they would release it to the user. So after a year of development and $20 million into, you know, paying developers, now the user finally sees it. But what would happen is they'd spend eight months developing something and then the user would see it and then the user would be like, well, this isn't what we wanted or like, you know, this isn't doing what we wanted to do or it's been eight months, now we need different features, whatever. So Agile just takes that, what we call the waterfall process, which is like eight months of building and then finally it gets down to the user and sort of compressed it into one, two or three or four week, uh, what are called sprints. And so the idea is that instead of taking eight months to develop the software, you'll take a week and you'll develop a new feature over that week and then you'll release it to the user. So every week you're releasing new features to the user or every week the user is seeing your new code and then you can do bug fixes and everything. So it's like more of a tight feedback loop between the developers and the user. So if... Um, you know, if an app take is updating every week or if they're updating every month, it just depends on how long their sort of development cycle is. And generally like one to four weeks is pretty, pretty common. Right. Okay. So sprinting, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with them all, but I don't know if everyone else is in chat. Um, so when it comes to sprinting and, and doing, doing the work over the short amount of time and pushing out all of those features, I would imagine just looking from a consumer standpoint and when looking at ClickUp as, as using my example, they're bringing out loads of features, but each feature typically will have one or two bugs associated with it. Yeah. But in order to keep up with their frequency, they're adding another feature and leaving a bug behind. So they're sort of adding a feature, leaving a bug, adding a feature, leaving a bug. And it's it's this it's this balance that they need to work out. From a, a developer standpoint, how how would you personally manage that? If you know the company wants to add more features, but you know there's bugs sitting there, how would you how would you go about managing that? Yeah. So first things first, there's always going to be bugs. Like that's just one of the, you know, realities of, of writing code. And there, but here's the thing, there's different types of bugs and that's really what it comes down to as far as how are we prioritizing fixing them? Right. So one type of bug that would be very kind of 
mild, it doesn't really matter, would be like a user interface bug, right? So maybe a button is supposed to be here, but it's actually just like a little over to the left, right? It's not really affecting the user much. It kind of looks bad, right? But it's the app still works. It's still doing everything. So that's sort of like the lowest level of bug. So that might be like a level one bug. And then you'd have like a level five bug, right? Which might be, this is something that's gonna break the app, right? Uh, we're double charging a user's credit card or uh, we're, you know, all of the users, you know, products just got deleted or, you know, whatever, something that's like really bad. So that would be a level five. So generally when bugs come in and different companies have different ways of, um, you know, collecting information about bugs, but as they come in, you would classify them. So you'd say like, okay, this is a level two bug. This is a level four bug. This is a level three bug, whatever. And then during that sprint process, you'd have, okay, he, we have these three bugs that we need to fix. You know, you're going to go do that, whatever you'll fix them. So th they'll sort of be prioritized over other things. But if you just have one of those user interface bugs or just something, you know, some stupid little thing, maybe we need to push that off for a couple of weeks because we don't have time, but all that is managed using project management software. So it, there's a bunch of different ways to do this, but, you'll have project management software, you'll create a ticket for the bug, and then it'll go into some sort of a backlog of tickets. And then when you're planning for the sprint, you'll pull bugs out of there and, and, and try to fix them. So there is a whole strategy, but everything comes down to like, what's the severity of the bug. Okay. So, I mean, I got a couple of things. One, one's completely arbitrary. Do you know why it's called a bug? Uh, I, okay. I don't know a hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure it goes back to the early days of computing where you would have, I, I guess it was like switchboards. I don't know. Basically like whatever the, these like super primitive computers were, um, I think, or maybe it was like, I don't know. Anyway, it was like some sort of, some sort of like old computing technology, but bugs would fly into it and then like they try to plug in these like switches or something and then the bug would get in the way. I don't know. So I think it, I, I'm pretty sure it goes back to something like that. So it goes back to like physical bugs, like getting into the hardware of the system, I think. Um, but yeah. Oh, transistors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a moth got into the transistors of the computer. Yeah. I think that's, I think it was the transistors. Yeah. So there's literal bugs in the hardware. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, that was, it was one of those questions that I was like, actually, why? <laughs> yeah, man, it's funny how there are a lot of things that go back to like just those early days, you know, a lot of terminology and stuff. It's weird. Just literal. It was a literal bug in the system. <laughs> it was a literal bug. Yeah. It's funny too, because when you think back, like a lot of the technology that's in a computer, like the processor, you know, the graphics cards, the memory, the hard drive, like most of this stuff was invented like in the 20th century, like none of this is new. It's just, they've just gotten faster and better. Um, but it's like at a, at a fundamental level, it's kind of the same, it's the same stuff that we were using back then. It's just now we have, uh, it's just way faster, right? We're able to do things way better. Yeah, very true, very true. And then you have all the letters and numbers associated with certain certain right. things. <laughs> like there hasn't been a whole lot of like massive, massive breakthroughs in like general computing technology and like you know in, in a while it's just been more like iterative a lot of these like big discoveries were made you know back when all this stuff was first getting created yeah so you mentioned project management tools i've gone through a fair few mm -hmm. um fair few being like 60 <laughs> 
um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's literally what I do. I look at applications and software. Um, mm. Yeah, so I've gone through. 63 i think currently i've got like 100 and something waiting for me to explore um but i'm curious to see what applications have you like personally used with with building out with a team yourself whatever it happens to be what are you familiar with and have used yeah i've used uh jira pretty heavily jira is nice because it integrates with a lot of the coding tools like it, with this website called github there's another one called bitbucket it just it, it integrates really well with a lot of that stuff um, so I've used that at a number of different companies. Um, GitHub is another one. GitHub is like a place where you can store code. And like a lot of times teams will write code on GitHub and they have some pretty cool like project management tools I've used. Um, there's another one called Trello, which I've used a lot, which just has like, so a lot of these are just like, uh, it, Trello is like a Kanban board or Kanban, however you say that. But basically you have little cards and you like move them into like, oh, I'm to do or completed or whatever. I like those. Um, yeah, I think those are probably the main ones I've used. I've used like Monday is another one I've used. Dot com. Never forget the dot com. <laughs> Monday.com. Yeah, mud right. <laughs> Monday.com. Yeah, so I think those are probably the main ones. I found a lot of them to be very similar. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I For me, it's all about how it looks. Like, I, I really like Jira because I just like the way it looks. Um, but yeah, exactly. I think kind of do the same stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Jira and Trello are both by Atlassian with Confluence being the the, the doc wiki. Yeah, they both are, right? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I did, a, I did a live stream going through all three of them. Even uh, though, like, I've gone, I went through Trello years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, familiar with familiar with the Atlassian suite. Um, what's, your, what's your favorite one? What do you think about those ones? Between those three applications? Yeah, or just in general, like, what's your favorite project management tool? Um, I don't have a favorite tool because I, I think I'm kind of biased because I've I explored so many. Yeah, all of them, all of them have their pros and cons. Uh, project management in general as well is very dependent on what you're doing with it. Cause yeah. uh, if you're, if you're doing something with finances as well, then ideally you'd want a CRM system in, in there as well. So something like Basecamp, Salesforce, Hello, uh, mm. ClickUp, like any of those would do, would do well. Uh, if it's just project management, then Trello, Asana, <laughs> to, yeah. you could use Todoist or TickTick as project management with basic project management. You could use Notion right. or Coda and yeah, the list goes yeah. on. I've used uh, Todoist actually. I like that. Todoist is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think Todoist is probably the go-to task management application for people not in the Apple system. <laughs> then yeah. it's it's Things Three. It's like Things Three versus Todoist is normally there, and then it's Todoist Tick Tick is kind of a an argument backwards and forwards, and then there's loads of other apps. Me Do, To Do. Like there's so many weird ones out there as well. And note taking, you have a whole, whole world of yeah. <laughs> whole ecosystem of note taking apps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to give you an idea of how obscure some of them are, uh, I'm going to bring up Natoto. Okay. Natoto. <laughs> okay. No Toto is how it's spelt. <laughs> and it's literally a post-it note app. Well, I, I class them as post-it note apps where it's literally just, here's a section and you write whatever, like type whatever your note is. Um, but you can put things on the page. It's like a, a 3D kind of landscape with a post-it note. But you can put like sheep, cows, dinosaurs, houses next to the notes and build out this full 
thing. Yeah, oh, it's cool, man. Yeah, <laughs> very obscure. I made a massive sheep in it just because I could. Uh, and then Gail, someone in chat was like, "Sheepzilla." That's what we are going to refer to Natoto as, Sheepzilla. <laughs> Sheepzilla, man. That's good. I have to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so usability isn't great, but it's unique. <laughs> hey, man. Sometimes that's all you need. <laughs> I mean, you got to you got to stand out from the competition. You got to stand out somehow, man. How many? Yeah, how many other random to do list apps have been built? At least we're 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 talking about that one, right? Yeah, uh, I can think of three others that are similar, but not quite to that extent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was nice. That was good. Um, yeah. So I don't want to keep you too long. How long? How much longer do you reckon we can? Dude, we can do another twenty minutes. That's fine. Yeah. However long you have questions for, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. Can to, we can go to like, uh, what is it? 4.30. That's fine. 18 minutes. Yeah, go for, go for a couple of other. So I've got a couple of other questions in my mind about coding specifically, learning to code. Yes. Right. So learning to, Brian did like a whole spiel uh, in the last stream that I need to clip and be like, there you go. There's the, there's the thing. Um, when it comes to learning to code, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript slash Python seem to be the, the main ones to, to dive into, not necessarily first, but they're the, the, the popular ones. Yeah, they're definitely popular, and there's a lot of jobs in them. That's why most coding boot camps, most coding courses are written in that. It, it's all using that stuff just because it's, it's starting to become kind of a standard. Yeah, so when, when you're building out, so in my mind, I would build out a project of some sort. So I'm actually applying whatever it is I'm learning to something, whether it is I'm going to build a website just to see how the code looks behind the scenes and things like that. Uh, would you say, like taking the two different approaches, would you say just have an idea of a project and learn how to build that project? Or would you look at something that someone's built out and then try and deconstruct it? Like which, which way would you go? I wouldn't try to deconstruct, uh, not if you're starting out, just because it's, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to understand what's going on. Uh, yeah, at, at a certain point, you do need somebody to just kind of walk you through some of these really core concepts, just because they're very foreign. Um, when you're coding, we need to start thinking like computer programmers. So you need to start thinking very you need to start thinking in the details because coding is all about the details. It's like you need to specify every single instruction for the computer to carry out. So if you look at, uh, if you just look at someone's code and you try to deconstruct it, it that's a that that's not going to be good. Unless you're like already a, sort of a senior level developer, more advanced developer, then you can do that. But just because the way that the person's writing that code, you don't know if they're writing it well. You don't know if they're, um, you don't know like what, tools they're using to write it. There's just a lot of unknowns that, yeah, it would just be confusing. So my recommendation always is um, if you're going to learn how to program, I would just start off, just learn the basics of coding. I have a bunch of videos on that. There's a bunch of videos on that online. Just learn the basic concepts. Um, and then once you know the basic concepts, then I would say, go try to build a project, like go try to build something. So either follow along with the tutorial where someone's walking you through a project or just say, yeah, like, hey, I want to build this. Let me go figure out, you know, let me just start Googling around and see how I can build it. But yeah, you definitely, I would say, start by learning just the basics, like learning the concepts, and then you can try to go and uh, and build something. Yeah, I think that's right. yeah, probably that, the best that, advice I would have. That makes sense. And that's the route I'm taking. I was just curious to see if you, if you went the other way. <laughs> 
Okay, uh, Nora asked a really good question, and it's a question I was actually going to ask next. So, uh, like a portfolio or something? Do you want to build a mobile app? So I would say like figure out what you want to build. And then the best thing you can do is just find a good tutorial that'll walk you through that. So I remember when I was first learning mobile development, I wanted to build this uh, little game. And so I, I basically just bought like a course on Udemy and like how to build a game in iOS. And then I followed through with it. And then I just learned how to, you know, sort of the concepts behind that. And then I was able to apply that to build the thing that I wanted to build. But yeah, build, I would say like a good project is just something that you're excited about. Like there are certain things that are going to be way more complex than like building something like Uber, for example. It's super complex because you're using like GPS data from phones and you're integrating it into this map or whatever. So that's not something that you'd want to do as a beginner. But building a little note taking app, a little to do list app, uh, if you just have an idea about like some app to manage your life, something that you're excited about. I think that's the main thing is. If you're going to learn how to code, you want to be excited about it. So you want to build something that makes you excited. And then you'll be more excited to learn all these different topics. Whereas if you're just building some stupid app that you're not excited about, it's not going to entice you. Like the coding stuff's not going to probably not going to keep you that interested. So it's, you know, it's better to just find something that you like and then figure out how to build it. Yeah, and that's that's something that I I look to when when people ask me about different things, whatever it happens to be, whether it's like jobs, academics, whatever. It's like I, fun, fun first yeah. is, is my motto. And if you're not enjoying it, just do something else. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably the best advice. Is like you need to get you need to be excited about this, or it's just gonna suck. Like, <laughs> like I'm saying, like the the learning curve with coding is just so massive that. If you're not pumped about it, then it's gonna be, uh, yeah, it's gonna be kind of weird. So what's what's your what's your drive in coding? Is it is it seeing the numbers? Is it seeing the the app at the end? Is it the process of learning? Like what what interests you about coding? I think for me, I'm very like detail oriented. Like I love. Sorry, I think it's kind of loud here. Um, I'm very detail oriented, and so I'm always thinking about, I always want to like break things down to their like smallest parts and then build them back up together. Like, I just love doing that. That's just how my brain works. Um, and like, ironically, I'm not like, I've never been good at math. I've never been good at like engineering or science or anything like that. I just love details. So like, I feel like I'm just like built for coding. Um, but yeah, I think for me, like coding is about the details. It is about, you know, every it's it's about all these little things coming together and working together to build one bigger thing and i just love that so i think for me that's always been my motivation is just like getting everything to fit together and organizing it so it doesn't for me it's not as much about what i'm building it's more about how i'm building it so i think that's always been my motivation but yeah like i mean i i've done this before like where okay i want to build like i wanted to build this like cryptocurrency app where it would like track all the cryptocurrency prices in real time. And I was like, okay, I kind of know how to do this. But then I was, I just went off and figured out how to build it. And through that process, like learned all the concepts that I needed, learned the things I was missing and was able to put it together. So I think if you can find something you're excited about, then you'll be more motivated to figure out how to build it. And then you'll be more excited to learn the coding, which like I said, it's more nitty gritty about the details. Yeah, I mean, finding finding that comma that's making the whole thing not work. 
yeah, it's always like some weird, you know, you're missing. It's it's always like just one little thing, and then it's you know you're stuck on it for days. Like that's the that's the lifestyle of the software engineer. Yeah. Uh, Brian, Brian, I think I think everyone in the PKM world <laughs> is trying to do that. <laughs> yeah. So building an operating system is the hardest thing that you can do <laughs> as a beginner. Yeah. yeah. Maybe in maybe in like 2030, I'll, I'll attempt it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I I am curious as a, as a final thing, not necessarily coding related, but are you familiar with the channel stuff I made? Maybe. So maybe. he builds. You may have seen some of the videos. He builds quite um unique contraptions like robots and things mm -hmm. uh he built like a, a robot that cut his hair he built a robot that like moved the basketball hoop so he never missed a shot with cameras yeah. programming very odd he posted a video today about a pool cue which like it, it adjusts itself to always get the ball in because you've yeah. got like a camera at the top of the table and all that sort of stuff obviously loads of coding on behind the scenes yeah. plus physics and actually building the stuff to to make yeah. it work uh obviously he has loads of fun and it's just yeah. when you said finding that little bit that didn't work he mentioned in the video which sprung to mind he he built out like a, a troubleshooting like this is the first iteration of the code to get this thing to work yeah. and for whatever reason the whole thing after like a week of trying to build this it wouldn't work and he spent like he said in the video he spent like a week and it just didn't work couldn't find it and then he'd left some like old code somewhere like right at the beginning and he was just like okay yeah. and then everything worked fine it was just that little bit yeah man it's just that one little thing i will say this that's why you need to write tests so <laughs> he should have been testing his code but yeah no dude that happens all the time like you just forget something or you know some little thing is in there but again this is what i'm saying like it's not like this guy's a smart coder i'm sure like he knows what he's doing that's not the hard part. The hard part is how do we maintain this code? How do we make it so that it's, we're not spending a week, you know, trying to fix something, but which happens all the time. I'm not, you know, this isn't like a, I do this all the time, but you know, it, that this is the problem right there is, is with writing code. It's not about writing some algorithm or, you know, writing some piece of logic. It's like, how do we maintain this thing? How do we keep it running? How do we, how do we make it so that when we have a problem, we're able to figure out what that problem is without spending a week on it, you know? So it's, it's a challenge and it's, it really is, it's tough. I, I, I think the majority of coding is troubleshooting and, and problem solving. <laughs> yeah, I always, I always would tell my students, like if it's 80% it's Googling, like if you can just learn how to Google really well, like I can't, I've spent hours and hours on Google just digging through form posts and like, article you know just trying to find one little thing where i'm like oh that's what i needed you know so if you can learn how to google and fix bugs and troubleshoot and all of that it's such a good skill to learn yeah awesome right we're, we're closing in on on half past so uh we'll, we'll we'll call it there i i i had a great time talking thank you for coming it's on so fun this is awesome man yeah uh, it, was, it was great and uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there will be more conversations in the future whether it's in the comment section of videos or whatever happens <laughs> yeah man definitely for sure is there anywhere you want to you want to point people other than your YouTube channel which I have linked in the description for people that didn't that weren't here at that point no, that's, uh, that's it man yeah I'll be posting on there so if you want to hear more from me then just uh, yeah head over there 
Awesome. Right. Well, with that one, uh, I will leave it there. I am streaming tomorrow. I'm talking with someone about Remnote because I went through Remnote and he's decided that I didn't do well enough. So he's going to come on <laughs> and, and teach me how to use Remnote. So until then, everyone, I will see you tomorrow. And uh, Mike, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. See ya. Bye, everyone.